Hello, language hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast with me, Elizabeth Bruckner, and of course, Benny Lewis. In this episode, we speak with Professor Alexander Arguelles of alexanderarguelles.com. He's one of our most prominent polyglots in the polyglot community. Some of the things we discuss are what it's like to be inside the brain of someone who speaks numerous languages, how can you learn languages through reading circles, and what is shadowing. So let's get started. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 102. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm your host, Benny Lewis, and I'm joined by Elizabeth. And we are today interviewing Professor Arguelles, who is a big name in the language learning community and a very fascinating story. And I would love to share it with you guys today. So let's jump right on in. And uh, I would like to hear your version of your story of how you uh, grew up and eventually uh, worked towards languages being important in your life. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, onto your podcast in the first place and um, for being interested uh, enough to ask that. And um, I think a lot of people know that um, in, in I've had different incarnations in sort of my online presence. I come and I go and I come and I go. And at one point, I had a website where I had, a, I had a long biography on there, and a lot of people found that very said they found that interesting and inspirational. I've got a new website, and I have both a short biography there, and I put sort of an updated, longer version of the big biography. So anybody who's really interested and wants to go that can go to my website and, and read the whole thing. I am privileged, I guess, to have uh, grown up in a family where my father learned lots of languages and my family traveled a lot. And so I got to have the example of somebody teaching himself languages. I got to travel to places where I saw people speaking different languages and, you know, I heard languages around me. And so it wasn't that odd to think that I might learn languages. But then actually, the first language I ever learned, I was just speaking with Elizabeth beforehand, was, was French. And that was quite a normal person's story. I was put in a French class and when I was 11 years old. I studied for three years and I did very well. But then I moved to another school and they saw that I'd been in French for, that was my fourth year and I'd been doing well. And so they put me in fourth year French. And there I learned that I actually hadn't been learning anything in my old school. I'd just been doing the same thing each year and, you know, I was behind and it was kind of hard. And when I was in high school, um, that was the one class that I ever got to be in. I mean, all my other grades, I was always an A student. But then when I went to college, I still, I was, I was interested and I liked it. And I'd also wanted to learn German. I started learning German and I just realized, wow, after one year of German being taught well, uh, my German is as good as my French and my French has finally taken off because now it's being taught well. And I was also doing Latin and I realized, you know, Latin is so much more complicated. These are easy. And even though German is better than, than uh, French taking in class, I still felt like, hey, this is kind of slow. I, I wonder if I could teach myself better. And so I uh, was in New York City where a lot of people speak Spanish. And I said, I'm going to see if I can teach myself Spanish. And uh, I did. And it was really easy. And I just thought, wow, if I can teach myself living languages so much better than sitting in a classroom doing it, I'm just I'm going to teach myself living languages. But yeah, things like Latin and Sanskrit and ancient Greek that I, I need to sit in a class and learn like that. So uh, I just stayed uh, in school because I was a good student and I like studying and it gave me opportunities to learn as much as I could. And then I got a postdoctoral after I got my doctorate. I got a postdoc to do research in Germany. And while I was in Europe, it was like, wow, all these languages are coming alive, but they're not really hard. I want a hard challenge. What's really hard? Oh, Korean. Let me go for Korean. So I ended up in Korea and that was really hard. It took me about 10 years. And then uh, after I got that was, you know, good enough, I guess. Uh, I said, well, what's another really hard thing? Arabic. So I went after Arabic and I ended up spending about another 10 years um, learning Arabic in Arabic speaking countries. So it's just sort of always been the challenge and the the attraction of just the, the phenomenon of languages and how they work and hearing different sounds and and then going beyond them and saying, wow, now that I can read these languages, I can really delve into the culture. I can appreciate the literature. I've always loved reading, you know, and when I was younger, I, I read you know, books in, in translation when I was a teenager. And I was like, wow, if I like, you know, Dostoevsky or Kafka or, you know, somebody like this in, in, in English, they wrote in German or Russian. I should read it in German or Russian. And so I've always just had that as a goal, too, to just really go and, you know, appreciate stuff that's been, been written well in, in the target language. And so I've just um, had a whirlwind uh, time of it all. And, and, and now here I am being interviewed by somebody like you. So thank you very much. 
There, there's so much here to unpack, uh, especially having two polyglots in the room with me. I feel like on, on behalf of the entire audience, yay, I just want to say yay, you guys are here. So the one thing that you said, and I'm trying to think about beginner mind, like a very beginner language learner, you said language learning can be easy. And I know that for me, after failing 11 times and doing well in school and buying all the CDs and buying the books and buying private classes and nothing working, it seemed so not easy until I found the online language community. I found folks like you that have a YouTube channel full of like, let me just walk you through what I do to learn a language. And Benny did the same thing with his articles. And so I would just take one piece here and one piece there. We were talking just a, just before the interview about meta learning, learning how to learn, because I don't think a lot of people, uh, especially the Americans that I grew up with, I don't think they know how to learn. So one of your videos actually says you can learn a language in 15 minutes a day, which to me, knowing now, yes, it's possible. But starting, I would have thought that you were lying, right? Like, no, it's absolutely impossible. What is what does that mean? You can learn a language in 15 minutes a day. It means that if you work systematically each and every single day over a long period of time, you're like the tortoise and the hare. You're like the tortoise. You'll get there. Okay. Um, if it's a, you know, uh, it depends on the language, uh, you know, you're, you're going to, once you get into it, you're going to need to put in more than that. But 15 minutes a day is enough to get started. 15 minutes a day, if you put it in systematically, and in particular with the kind of methods that I've always used myself and therefore advocated and uh, should get some compensation from the SMEO company, because I'm basically giving them free publicity all the time. But, you know, if you if you use that kind of method, um, you can and, and you have to do it systematically each and every single day. You get into the habit, you get a foundation and then you build upon that. And so, no, I mean, you're, if you only do 15 minutes a day forever, um, you're never going to get terribly, terribly far. But that is enough to form the habit. You form the habit and you get a foundation. And then after a certain point, language learning stops being a chore. Uh, and stops and becomes a pleasure. Like when you get to the level of, of reading literature, you and I both like to read literature, or maybe you like to sing songs or watch movies or something. Well, when you watch a full movie, a two hour movie, you're basically studying for two hours. You know, you're listening and paying attention and understanding. You know, when you have a conversation, if you go out with people and you meet people and you go and you live in the language, you're, you're using it, you're immersed in it. And so, yeah, ultimately, if you want to take any language to a high level, you need to put in hours a day. There's no question about it. But to, to form a habit, to get into a habit and give yourself a foundation and learn, sort of digest the content of, of a, like an Asimil type book or some other book that will give you the solid foundation. Uh, I think that most people... Unfortunately, the, the difficulty they have, and in school learning, this is reinforced. I mean, in school learning, you might have, you know, a, a class that meets twice a week and you meet for 75 minutes and then you do your homework the night before. So it's really stop and start and stop and start. Um, and that's just not the most effective way to learn. But if you can get into the habit of doing something 15 minutes a day, you know, it's not a magic number. It could be 20 minutes a day, you know, but a, a little bit each and every single day, systematically at the same time every day to form the habit of learning and get your brain into the mode of learning. Uh, and processing material, um, giving yourself foundation and build on it, add more time when you get more advanced. Excellent. And one thing that is especially impressive with the routines that you've built is obviously you've gone way beyond the 15 minutes and you have a, a very impressive daily routine when it comes to learning your languages. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it, it varies over time. It varies in different ways. You know, I have, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure you have been there too. Most polyglots, you get to the point um, when you when you put in these small amounts of time and you're learning a basic manual, when you're at the basic level, you can sort of be really widespread and learning lots of languages and, and get them all here. But then when you come to the point, you say, well, now I've got them up to a higher level and I want to take that hour a day and, and read the language. Well, get your clock out. There's only so many hours in the day and you also have to eat and sleep and do all these other things. So it's just limited time. So you need to develop some sort of a, a schedule, a maintenance schedule, a way of going in and, 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 and sort of balancing out. And, you know, I've, I've been recently making the analogies of getting some sort of a solar system like system going where the planet comes around or, you know, you have, then you have a comet come in and like an ellipse and you see something differently. So um, it's hard to develop a balanced schedule uh, and, and do lots of things. I've got a number of languages now that I, you know, that I worked really hard at by living in them for, for you know, 10 years, both in Korean and Arabic. Uh, and, you know, and so I got these 
really hard languages to levels where I can truly listen to um, sort of a narrative, a story in Arabic that I've never heard before. And, and I get, I don't understand everything yet, but I understand an amazing amount of it. But I have to listen for an hour to do that, to hear the full story and get challenged. And so there's other languages that I've also, over the, past, the whole course of my life, developed the ability to really appreciate and, and enjoy, say, French and Spanish and German literature the same way I do something that's written in English. And so there too, if I want to sit down and really enjoy reading that, that takes time or listen to an audiobook, And then you get really excited by the story and you, you want to keep listening. And so, uh, yeah, you just have to find ways of, of the different things you want to do, whether it's reading, some ways of practicing your language that enables you to sort of delve into it. Like I've got, I'm sure you know, my technique called scriptorium, where I sit and I, I copy out a text and I you know pay attention and really try to you know make it a beautiful artistic thing at the same time I'm doing it and just juggle the hours of the day with the, the languages that I'm doing. So, you know, I have, I have periods when, you know, I say, oh, I'm really going to, I never got my Persian where I wanted to be. I'm going to make Persian my main focus right now and try to put a, in a couple of hours a day of Persian uh, and not lose my, my Latin. And, you know, and so put Latin sort of on a mid burner and, and put Persian on the front burner. And then other times I'll flip that around. And so it's constantly varying. It's constantly changing. There's no question. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do not just spend 15 minutes a day on languages. I spend as many hours as I possibly can. And that's, I've structured my life, you know, in, in terms of being a professor of, of history and languages and literatures and stuff like that, that I can pretty much do that. Uh, and so, yeah, I am able to spend the bulk of my days um, with my brain somehow working in or on some, some other language. And um, I'm very privilege to be able to do that. And that's why I've kind of made it my mission. I feel like I, I have an obligation to share that with others as much as I possibly can, because not everybody has that much time and leisure. And I just think that um, there are, I don't want to say false paths, but you can, you can waste a lot of time doing things that, you know, there's, there's more efficient things that you can be doing. You know, we human beings, we, you know, we can hear good advice and, you know, it doesn't always click, but if you hear it over and over again, at some point, you're going to hear it in the right formulation at the right time, and then you'll be able to benefit by that. So if I can share the benefits of my experience and help somebody younger who's interested in languages enough to be like a host, like Elizabeth here, who, you know, wants to learn, hopefully she'll have an easier time and a better time of it. You know, she can avoid some of the, the false paths or things that I may have uh, gone down for a while. So that's very gratifying. And I actually have because of you. I have a smoother path because of you and Benny. It was finding polyglots that were really willing to talk about it and not make it an ego thing. You know, like, oh, well, I just learned languages and you little peons could never do what I'm doing. Instead, you're going, here's exactly what I do. And if you look at your YouTube channel, it has a lot of those like step by step. There is a video that says how to learn 15 minutes a day. And then there's another one, how to read um, literature in a foreign language. And it, it walks like I remember watching these for the first few times. And I'm just so grateful that you're willing to share them walking through it and going, huh, that's how you do it. Because I just assumed that I would have to be a C1. I didn't even know what C1 was at the beginning in order to start reading. And that's not true. Uh, a lot of people say, do what you love in the language. I'm a bookworm. So I started learning to read. I taught myself to read in the language very early. I knew very little. And I started reading books that were above my level because I didn't, I don't like short stories. So I immediately went into like Jules Verne and I read Benny's language hacking book in French. One thing that you talked about right now is routines. And it sounds very normal, but it's true. Like I spend hours in my languages because my life is a part of that. And I don't have it as my career. I'm an acupuncturist by trade. I don't speak French and Spanish much in my clinic. But what you mentioned brought up some ideas of, I've read a lot about neuroscience. And one of the things they say is that the brain loves novelty and repetition. And even when you were saying like, you're going to hear this advice again and again, and one of these days it's going to click. One of these days, this is going to go, oh, this is what works for me. So going back to, for me, what works is the repetition is reading. I love reading to get passive vocabulary. You can really surprise your friends while people at parties by pulling out words that you read in books that are still there. Can I ask you a little bit about the reading circles that you have on your website now? Because first of all, I had the honor of speaking to you in French right before this, like one of the giants of language learning. And I got to speak to you in another language. And we were talking about this, but I want to talk a little bit more so that the audience can hear what exactly have you developed in these, these reading circles, uh, languages and literature? Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, um, it's a mode of delivery that um, I developed under duress during the COVID times when the institute where I was was like, well, we can't offer classes. We have to do something, you know, virtual. And I tried doing virtual teaching before. I never really liked it or, you know, just didn't click or work. But here I just thought, well, you know, let me just try this, you know. And I just thought, you know, how about just putting all the things that I've always liked? But how about for the independent adult learner? So somebody who's not necessarily pursuing a degree uh, and somebody who's, you know, just you mentioned parties back, you know, and when we could go to parties and meet people. Um, I can't tell you how many times in my life, you know, just because of, you know, people sort of have some sort of inkling of who I am or what I do. And they say, oh, yeah, I used to know French, you know, or German. and But I don't get to use it very much anymore. It's a shame because, you know, I, was, I could travel there or read it when I was in college or something. I just think that there are thousands and thousands of people out there that would like the opportunity to maintain their language, to be able to use it and not just have, you know, a conversation or something, but, you know, read something, read some literature, learn some culture, improve their vocabulary, do all of these things. And so I developed that for um, German literature. And I've been doing that for about two years with a couple of groups of people um, just, you know, meet once a week online uh, through Zoom. And we take a text that the group agrees that we're interested in. And so we've read a couple of novels and other things like this and just to go around and people read aloud and then summarize in their own words what they read and talk about it. And it just works really, really well to help people um, advance in their in their abilities. I mean, getting building vocabulary and getting cultural knowledge, uh, learning about the, the literature and, and having the ability to not just chat, but converse about something that they just, you know, got some substance in. Um, and so it's been really nice to be doing this with uh, with German. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I could I could reach out to the whole world this way. I mean, this is something that I've been doing sort of at one institution with people who sort of happen to be enrolled there, but I never really got to do it to that level with this degree. So I just thought, wow, what if I could do this on my own? I mean, this is the, this new door has opened and so I'm giving it a try. So I would love to have you in a, in a French literature circle if you'd care to join me. And uh, yeah, we would, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll form, we'll get together, we'll get to know each other as a group and we'll choose books that we want to read. And just, um, again, the, the model that's worked really well has been once a week. Um, and, you know, this is sort of a low pressure way. It's like you're not getting a grade and you're there only because you want to be. That's the big difference between my, you know, as a university professor teaching my students in class they don't always really want to be there. And even if they, you know, kind of want to be enrolled in this program, they've got other things going on. But whereas in these reading circles, people are there only because they specifically want to be there. It's not a high pressure. It's not a grade. It's, you know, some of the way to stay in touch. Um, and so um, to me, it's a really exciting um, evolution in education that we can do something like this. And I'm, I'm hoping that it works out really well. And speaking of education, because of the the fact that this is like your actual career, I'm very curious, how have you seen language education uh, evolve over the last few decades? And how do you see it as being different in each of the different countries that you've been able to uh, like witness how they teach languages? And like, what do you see as the future of language learning? I really believe you know, that the future of language learning is autodidactic learning. Teaching yourself languages has been, you know, I think that people like you doing what you do and other polyglots out there, you know, are just showing that, you know, if you are interested in it and now there are so many other ways that you can take to learn a language compared to sitting in a classroom and having a teacher take charge of it and, and teach you it. I haven't really seen much evolution in, you know, in classroom teaching, uh, be it in. Yes, I mean, I've lived in, in, in Korea and in uh, Singapore and in the United Arab Emirates. And um, in terms of evolution of, of teaching that like, oh, it's getting better in, in the classroom. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not aware aware of that, but I'm aware that I meet so many people these days uh, somehow uh, through the internet, you know, who like you're typing. It's like, wow, you're you're not a native English speaker. I would never have known that from, you know, all the comments that you've been posting on my videos or things like this, or you come on and you, you know, you learned this way. That was amazing that you're, I mean, you're really good, you know, and you, you haven't studied officially. You haven't done something on your own. And so I, yeah, I think that the idea of polyglots of people teaching themselves languages before the internet with its forums and with YouTube and stuff like this, it was sort of hidden and people, you know, didn't know about it or didn't believe that it was possible. But I think now it's out in the open and, and people know that and um, that you can just come to a point when you realize that, you know, if you are you ever inter if you're interested in a language and you want to take charge of the process and you can take advantage of all the other resources that are out there and you put the time in, um, you can do so much more than if you just sort of sign up 
up and, and sit in a class and expect somebody else to take his knowledge and pour it out of his head and put it into you. In one of your videos, you kind of tongue in cheek talked about like having a cat on your lap all of your language learning because it calms you. I'd love to talk a little bit about the nervous system and how you help students that are really timid or shy. Or for me, I know that I'm not shy at all. I'm introverted, but I'm not shy. I do find that like the nervous system and the way that we connect with languages is really important. And so what would you tell a beginner student that because for me, I'm excited about these language circles. I've been looking for something to up my French because I right now I speak with my friends every week, twice a week, set time. Right. And but that's different than delving into some like substantial literature and talking about it and using new languages. However, I know there are a number of language learners that we coach at the challenge that will say I went to a meetup or a party and it was terrible. Everybody was above my level. What do you say to them in terms of resetting their nervous system? Because I think they think that they're going to get in trouble there, but it's really for enjoyment. And all the other learners remember what it's like to be a beginner. So what would you say to those those folks that are scared to to join a circle? That it's, you know, you have to make a paradigm shift. I mean, if you can think of a language learning as, as sort of developing a relationship rather than, you know, oh my God, I've got to learn all this vocabulary. And <clears throat> they know more than I do. And now I have to go study this or I have to go memorize some more words or I have to, you know, learn some things. I mean, if you can think of it more like developing a relationship, getting to know somebody, developing a friendship um, and just... Um, just just having a go at it from that perspective. I mean, changing your perspective and um, yeah, I mean, just if you interact with some nice people that, I mean, that's what you just said is part of that advice. We could go in one of the year and other. everybody's been there. Everybody used to be a beginner. They, they'll remember that. I mean, you can hear that, um, but until you go and, you know, just put yourself out on a limb once and talk to somebody and let's hope to God that it's not some snob who's going to make you feel bad, but it's one of the m- more likely to be a, another kind soul who is going to remember and say, okay, well, yeah, I was, I was there. Yes. And give you the benefit of their advice. And as well as uh, those kinds of social situations, and I can absolutely relate to those when it comes to learning languages that you're going to speak, uh, you've actually got experience studying three ancient languages, and you found more effective ways to study them since university. So how do you go about studying ancient languages? I mean, in university, you know, I I basically wrote my doctoral dissertation on Old Norse and I studied it in school and I learned how to read it and I did all this. And, you know, just by plugging away and sitting there with the dictionary and, you know, reading the text because because you don't have to speak it in the sense it sort of relieves a burden of the learning because you're only taking a chunk of it. So you're not really learning the whole language. You're just learning how to read and decipher it. And that's true in the teaching of so many ancient languages. Um, but I guess one of the biggest, more exciting things in, in my life in recent years that now that you're giving me the opportunity I'm, to talk about it, I'm, I'm pleased and happy to do so, is that among ancient languages, I mean, one of the most commonly studied uh, is, is Latin. And that's taught precisely in this way. I mean, most people who learn Latin in school just learn it for reading. And you can learn to read Latin pretty well. Um, but, you know, you t- and this is, it was exactly my story. I mean, I, you know, I started studying Latin in university. I used it in graduate school for regions purposes. I mean, I was good at reading Latin, but I could never, I never even thought about trying to think in it or, or you know, speak it or do something like this. And that at a certain point in my life that occurred to me, that was, that's weird. Why shouldn't I speak this language? Why shouldn't I be able to, to learn how to do this and try to speak it? And I tried to start doing it and it was really hard because you got so immersed in just reading it and not being able to formulate your thoughts in it. And that becomes frustrating because you got such a disconnect precisely because you are able to read at a high level and you, then you can't think of the most basic thing to say. You just, you, you get really frustrated and you feel bad and you want to stop. Whereas I think if you started out and you're still, well, you can't really read and you can't really say, then you're sort of fumbling along at the same level and then you're, you wouldn't have this lack of confidence. And so uh, I have just, you know, made a point now of, yeah, I think I can speak Latin pretty well now. And I have, you know, made an effort, but I had to develop new ways of, of doing that for myself, uh, which is something that I never would have thought of doing for a living language. And the thing that helped me the most, well, you had to find the right materials to do it with, is to the idea that if you, and I think this would help shy people who, even with some living languages or things like this, 
and it's something that we can do now with modern technologies. If you record yourself reading or saying something, you know, saying something fluently, and then you have a nice recording of your own voice, and then you shadow that, you listen to that, you're hearing yourself. So you're you're talking about calming your brain down, getting yourself, you're hearing your own voice speak fluently in your head. And you get used to that. And then you, and if you're shadowing it, you're also putting it out at the same time. Uh, and then it becomes something where you can take off the, the input and just keep going. Uh, and so that has been something that's been enormously helpful uh, that, that would have never occurred to me to do with the living language. Because you can say, well, I want to learn the right pronunciation. Why should I use my own voice? I know I'm not saying things correctly. But if you're doing it with a, uh, a dead language, um, then to me, that's made all the difference. I mean, as long as I thought, oh, OK, I just need to look at this other method or try to use these dialogues or something, it never really worked. But once I started listening to myself and repeating after myself, then it, then it comes alive. You make it, you make it stop being a dead language in your own brain. Uh, and it's, it's your own, the sound of your own voice in your own brain resonating. And so it's, it's easy to, to speak that out. You read my mind because I wanted to ask you about shadowing. That's what I learned about it through your videos. So what we talked about for the beginners here are the four pillars of language learning is what he's chatting about. There's reading, writing, speaking, and listening. And so initially when you were learning like Old Norse, you were reading and writing, but you weren't speaking and listening. I wasn't even writing. I wasn't even writing. I was just, just reading. Oh, you were just, you were doing one of the pillars. You just had a big gigantic column. <laughs> This idea of shadowing, this method of shadowing actually can help you do all four if you do it while reading. Can you explain the shadowing method to the audience? Basically, shadowing is a way of I've just always found it to be an absolutely intuitive thing that I don't think I can ever claim to have discovered or invented. But just it's it's to me what any child does when you have a little kid just parroting back, you know, and, and people used to say, stop, stop saying what they hear. But you just say what you hear as you hear it. And so shadowing is when you, instead of just sitting there and listening to recorded materials, you try to say it as instantaneously as you can. You speak along with the voice. And basically what I discovered is when you do that, um, it, it's a skill in itself. You get better at it. So a lot of people, when they start doing it, they trip. They say, I can't do it. It's hard. But just in and of itself, you, you get better at it. And then when you get better at it and when you do it on top of a voice that you are speaking on top of, basically what I found is that um, you are able to hear it. And because the, the sound of coming inside your ears is fixed, it's correct. You know that it's correct because you know, you're listening to it and it's fixed. You can't change it. If you make the wrong sound on top of that, it sounds funny. So your voice is going to change and try to make the right sound on top of it. So it's a way of getting yourself to, to speak on, you know, correctly by what you're hearing. And then what I've always done it with is, again, these these uh, methods like a simile that have bilingual texts and recordings and then take it to the higher level of literature. You can look at a text and read it. And so you can do both at the same time. You can listen and read. So I have described in my videos about shadowing this sort of different stages of ways that you can do it. You can do what I call blind shadowing is when you just listen to something that you don't even necessarily understand, but you just do the best that you can to repeat and say what, you, and say what you're hearing. And then there are different stages when in order to better understand, you can repeat what you're saying in the target language and read a translation so you know what you're saying. Then you can read it and do it at the same time. Uh, re read and read in the, in the target language and listen in the target language. And so ultimately develop uh, the ability to really speak along with a, a native speaker. And if you take this past didactic materials, like I said, it's really good to do it with things like like uh, Asimil, but you can do it with audiobooks that are recorded by talented narrators. Uh, and so you can, you know, these days you can you can go on to do a nice search through a site like, like Audible and look for a narrator who has a voice that you say, I'd like to sound like that. You know, I like that accent. I like that pronunciation. I like that intonation. And this guy reads with emotion and feeling, and I'd like to be able to emulate all of that. And again, if you just get a lot of practice doing that um, while you're listening and speaking along, ultimately you can take off the earphones and you can speak a lot more like that. You know, you know, if the degree to which you can ever develop a really good accent or you know, perfect diction or intonation, I mean, that's there are many factors involved in that. But if you do this method, I find you're going to get a lot better than you would if you if you didn't do anything like this. I mean, I, I'm the same as Elizabeth. I had actually heard of shadowing through your videos. So it's uh, it's been 
great that you've you've introduced these concepts even though it's not like you invented them from scratch but uh, you have been presenting these new ideas to the language learning community and you alluded to previously uh, the scriptorium method and i know scriptorium is latin like we were just talking about latin for place of writing uh, so how does that come into language learning techniques then uh, scriptorium, the way I use it, um, it is, again, I've got some videos I made about it last fall. Elizabeth and I were talking uh, before you came on. I think that you have sort of maybe had a, a continuous uh, internet presence over the years, whereas I've sort of come and gone. And I, for, through this podcast, I would like people to know that I'm, I hope I hope I don't go away again, but I've come back uh, as of last fall. And so I have a lot of new videos from, from last fall and on into now. And one thing that people did ask about was Scriptorium. So I've got two full videos out there. And to me, Scriptorium is a way of um, sort of going into detail. It's a way of slowing down. In Scriptorium, what you basically do, I mean, uh, somebody who's dubious about it can say, are you just copying? No, you're not just copying. Uh, in Scriptorium, uh, you are copying a text just like a monk in a medieval Scriptorium would do. But the whole point is you're trying to take a text and emulate the writing style. So in, uh, in, in shadowing, you're trying to emulate the speaking style. In Scriptorium, you're trying to emulate the writing style. So the basic idea is you would read something and then look away from it and try to write it accurately uh, and then look back and check. And as the time you're doing that, you're you're slowing down. You're looking and you're paying attention to all the details uh, and you're, you know, should be checking on things that you don't understand. And then since you're writing and um, I, I, I've done, you can do scriptorium, say, by typing on a computer or something like that. But I do believe I'm not the only person out there that, that there, there is some connection between handwriting and memory and brain and retention that it really helps. So I, I really find this works best while you're doing by hand. It's nice to monks in medieval scriptorium, they would make their books a work of art. So this is a way that you can sort of try to, particularly if you're learning a language that has a beautiful new script, like Sanskrit Devanagari, or you're learning Chinese and you're trying to cut kind of the characters. I mean, try to do that with nice calligraphy. Uh, you can put some illustrations or color in there if you have a way of doing it. So, but it's a way of going into detail. Uh, it's a way of developing writing style uh, and it's a way of really paying attention to all sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like you're saying, this, it ties in with languages in, uh, in interesting ways. And I know you've branched out and you've actually done loads of research and specialization in how mythology and religion uh, kind of work. And I'm curious, how do the fields of mythology and religion tie in together uh, with languages in your mind? Okay, that's very interesting. Thank you for asking that. Uh, basically, um, it sort of goes back into my biography a little bit. I mean, I just, I noticed a disconnect um, between um, sort of scholarship and languages in our time that seemed to me it didn't used to be there. I mean, if you pick up a book um, that was written in the 19th century, um, and it's a scholarly book. I mean, it just, it, it, you know, it might be written in English, but it quotes things in German and French and Latin and Greek. It, it quotes all sorts of different languages that just seem to be the norm. Whereas if you take 20th century books, everything is in translation or maybe in footnotes. It's in the original, but it's even if it's a scholarly text. And it just seemed like, yeah, languages were kind of being shunted off. And so I just looked for, you know, some historical types of where, where was it? What, who were the people that really, you know, did exciting work in, in languages and stuff. And I found that there was in the late 19th century, there was sort of a convergence of people who were both really great language learners. I mean, today we'd call them polyglots, language lovers, linguophiles, whatever you want. And they were also scholars. And for the most part, because maybe they're using their languages to delve into the mythology and religions of the world of this. So there's a, a German scholar named Max Müller. Max Müller, he is the editor of the Sacred Books of the East. He's famous for doing all sorts of works in Sanskrit, but he's also a great polyglot linguist. He learned all these different languages. And so I kind of looked into that and basically, I found that, you know, in our day, in, if you're going to study something, uh, most most areas of quote unquote linguistics are very f formal. They're not focused on the language at all. They're, you know, sort of abstract and the like. And so if you wanted to find an area where you could be sort of encouraged to learn lots of languages broadly, even in other lot of academic disciplines, you're told, well, you need to become an expert and specialist and focus only on one thing. But sort of with this legacy of people like Max Müller, um, that the area of, of sort of comparative history of religions was one where you could both still be encouraged to learn lots of languages broadly and use them and also learn something 
you know, broadly interesting rather than just with narrow focus. So yeah, just sort of converged in that way. It's so great to have your brain here <laughs> that we can explore. I know that there are many out there like me that are really attempting to move their lives into digital minimalism. You know, just just getting off the computer, off the cell phone. We've got tons of language apps and wonderful. I mean, my language exchange partners without computers, I would not have them. Right. So I, I understand that there's a I'm not necessarily a Luddite, but I'm I'm getting I'm getting pretty close. But uh, there are other ways to learn languages because it happened for many years before computers with paper and pen. And I know that you delve into that a bit in your methods, just in your personal life. Can you talk a little bit about when you've, you're getting carpal tunnel syndrome and you just need to shut off the screens? How do you enjoy your languages? Uh, more than a little bit. Um, I, I, I guess I would have to, I can't really deny being something of a Luddite, but here I am with a new YouTube channel and, you know, giving Zoom lessons and talking to you on here. So I'm not a very good Luddite, but I do feel better when I am off and away from the computer. It's something I really notice. I, I don't have carpal tunnel syndrome. Thank God I've never had an issue with that. But I, I do think that there are vibes or, you know, emanations or, or what do you want to call this? There's, there's something, it buzzes and hums the entire time. And I think that we really get addicted to that. And you start to get to think, oh my God, I need to check. And, you know, it's not, you know, the, the, the no phone-itis or whatnot, but it's, it's you, you just sort of feel like you should be online all the time. There's that has come sort of out in, in our current culture. And I just, I do feel better when I shut the thing off and turn, you know, when I actually turn it off and it's not humming or vibrating. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would be hypocritical to, you know, to put it down. I think that the internet more than anything else is, is a great resource for getting materials, uh, finding out about materials, ordering materials. Now, so many things have been digitized and uploaded and, and used for them. But um, yeah, if I, if I can, I prefer to take them offline and then sit and yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, just, I physically feel better. And I know that I focus better if um, the computer is not on. And, you know, and if I've, if I've just got a book and, and paper in, in hand. So, yeah, I get them from the Internet. But if, if I can, you know, I, I get away from it. I don't notice. I mean, I'm perfectly happy to be talking to you now in my circles. You know, we sit and we talk on that. It, it works fine. It brings you, like you said, there's, this is a whole new world of opportunity that we can only do because of this. I don't even know where you are right now, but it doesn't matter. I mean, we're different places in the world and we can communicate. That's fascinating. That's wonderful. Who could put that down? But on the other hand, uh, I do think and I make the point that I think everybody should Precisely because we're almost haha, programmed into being online all the time. Take take that back. Make a point of saying, I am going to digital detox. Yeah, I, every day I'm going to take an hour and I'm going to you know leave my phone over here and turn my computer off and be offline. You know, and see if you know maybe as you were talking about, if you really feel some sort of anxiety about that, I think that says something about you that you need to check out. You know, and if you can get over that anxiety and see, well, I yeah, maybe you'll find. I'm not anxious and I don't feel any different. I don't notice any emanations. I'm happy. Maybe some digital natives are, are just in tune with that now. But if you're slightly older or if you're not or something, you realize, hey, I, I really do. I feel better. Okay, then take that digital detox and, and push it up 15 minutes at a time. And in terms of like uh, where you see your, yourself going in the next years, uh, I'd be very curious because like that's a, a combination of, like you said, language learning is going to continue to evolve, but we don't want it to be completely surrounded by technology and thinking, oh, what's the next app that's going to come out? So, but at the same time, uh, we do want to be able to see things like a YouTube channel where you can share your message. So what do you see as your next years and what direction will you be going with your, uh, with your language learning story for yourself, but also how you plan to share uh, and give advice to others? Um, I, I think that these two things can be combined fairly easily. Like just what, what I was saying, like my, with my, I'm calling it my academy, where I have these reading and discussion circles. Um, that's something where I hope Elizabeth will join me and I'll see her for one hour a week on Zoom online. But in order to be there, she's going to either buy the book or download the material or take the material offline. And she's going to do the reading offline ahead of time. So I know that by encouraging her to be there and talk with me and be on there, I'm also giving her the opportunity and the reason and the motive and the time to sit and read by herself, which is something that she loves to do. And that's why she's 
possibly going to, to do this with me. Um, so yeah, to combine them in that fashion, I mean, just to say, okay, this is, we can use the internet, we can use communications, we can use Zoom classrooms to, to meet and uh, to, to be with each other, but we don't want to induce Zoom fatigue. We don't want to say, okay, this is something we're going to try to um, have sort of an immersion-like experience and we're going to stay on all day and speak to each other nonstop. No, I think it's preferable to, to do some preparation beforehand, come for a distinct purpose and, and do it, and then go off and, and do something uh, else as well. I miss very, very much. I mean, I would, I, I will always love going into, you know, vast libraries, you know, a big university's research library that the smell of old books is something I just, I just love, you know, but I have to say that it's not something the, the knowledge is accessible now without going into that environment. I would still prefer to be there. I like to be there, but I can get the, the, the books, the knowledge that I need. And to me, that's the, the most valuable way. So like I say, yeah, it's 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 good to me um, to be able to find older texts that have been digitized and, and put online, but then to take them offline again and sit and, and read them, prepare with them, and then maybe come back online and talk with others about them. I have one last question for both of you um, as polyglots, because as I said before, before this interview, I just had a few minutes to chat with the professor and we we were able to speak in French. And it was so exciting to be talking to one of the giants of of uh, language learning for for me in a foreign language where five years ago I could not. And so here I am five years into my journey and I'm still super excited when I'm able to speak. I wonder if it ever gets old, or do you both have that feeling of uh, inspiration and motivation and, and for me, magic? Does it still feel magic magical to you years later? I'd love to know what both of you think of that. I'll let you go first, Professor. I, I guess on the one hand, you, you do get very used to, I mean, when you get to a high level in a language, I mean, you, you get used to using, but somewhere in the back of my mind, this is something probably don't have time to, to go into great detail now, but being a polyglot is different from being multilingual. If you're multilingual, you happen to be lucky enough to grow up speaking a couple of different languages, and it's probably just totally second nature to you. But if you're a polyglot, it means you taught yourself these languages. And that means that you made a conscious decision. We talked about programming just a moment ago. I think the languages are like our brains programming. You have made a conscious decision to take control of the programming. And so... However much I might use one of my better languages like French or German or Spanish that I can speak in all day and you know it just comes. I put that there. I didn't I didn't just get it. You know, I decided to make that. I decided to put it there. And for me, for that reason, yeah, it does always somehow feel yeah, I guess I get a twinge of that magic. It's it's somehow different from from speaking English, which I was just given. Yeah, and for me, it's definitely even after all these years, it's an amazing experience to know that I can talk to people from a completely different culture to the one that I grew up with and that I get to experience a very vastly different life to the one that I'm used to. And uh, like, I don't naturally have that magical feeling of, uh, of excitement to learn languages because I need to have it tied in with experiences going to the countries or knowing I'm going to socialize with people. It has it did dwindle for me for a few years while I was uh, speaking English the entire time, whereas now I'm getting back into my travels. So I do, you know, anyone listening who might think polyglots just have this natural inborn motivation to constantly learn languages. It's uh, perhaps the case for some polyglots, but it's not the case for me. When I when life presented me challenges that meant that uh, speaking other languages was going to be a bit more work and I wasn't going to be able to travel as much then I did not have that same magic feeling. So it's uh, it's it's interesting because I, for me, languages have always been a, a means to an end, that they open up the door of other cultures, whereas uh, I don't have that same inherent passion to learn languages for its own sake that a lot of other people do. So yeah, you will find different stories with that. You're a people person, aren't you, Benny? I mean, for you, languages are interacting with other people. Exactly, yes. 
Yeah. So I could see that that would be harder for you during our lockdown period and shutdown. Okay, go inside your house and stay there and you can't come out. Okay. Obviously somebody like you is going to suffer. Um, I'm lucky in that regard. I'm more of a bookworm. So it's like, okay, I can read more. So, but yeah, I could definitely see that yeah, if you need that, that interaction with, with other people, but yeah, now we've got it through, through, and like I said, that was the fascinating discovery for me. A couple of years back, it was kind of the university where I was teaching. They tried to get everybody to develop these courses. And even the IT guys didn't like it. It just somehow didn't work. And then all of a sudden I discovered, well, in, in Zoom, like right now, it's like I, I, I can't reach out and pat Elizabeth's dog. But, you know, I, I know that it's there. I mean, it's almost like we're in the same room. So it's, that's, that's, that's really amazing. And one last question uh, that we like to ask all of our guests that I'll put to you is, do you have some understanding of what language hacking would mean? And what would you define language hacking if so? Language hacking um, would seem to me to say, okay, let me, let me just sort of slice it into my brain. I don't have it and I want to have it even though I don't have it. So let me get it there. So I would be like trying to get it in, sort of cram it in as, as fast as you can, get it going, you know, maybe take some take some shortcuts and, and get some ways. So um, I had the experience of doing a two-week immersion in Finnish, um, which was something that was just sort of a challenge and it wasn't something on my event horizon. It was just like there. And I, I said, okay, I'm totally immersed in it and I can focus on it 100% and I have people here to help me do it. And so I can sort of, you know, hack it into my brain. And, you know, two weeks later, I can have some, because I prepared everything ahead of time and I looked up the words and I checked it. And then I followed, I paired it back with the guy was saying to me, but I could sit and have a conversation about religion and philosophy and say, like, wow, I just crammed this language into my brain. And then I never used it again. And it's, and it's gone. So um, it seems to me that it's a way of, of putting something in very quickly. And if you sustain it, if you keep it going, if you stay with, with the language, um, you would be able to develop it further. Um, so maybe jump starting, jump starting a language. Is that fair? Yeah, that's a great way of uh, putting it, I'd say. Excellent. Well, this has been a fascinating chat with you. I'm glad we were able to, to catch up again. And uh, we will have links in the show notes to all your stuff so people can check you out. Because like you said, you're getting active again and you've got some excellent advice and you're doing the, the weekly reading. So people should look into uh, all the stuff that you're into and uh, we'll give links to that. If I could say one other thing, I mean, yeah, please do, if anybody's interested here, listen to check out my website because I have just tried to make it, uh, well, again, I have reactivated my YouTube channel. So I'm putting out a weekly video on YouTube, but on my website, I not only have information about ways that you can participate with me in live, well, Zoom interaction and in reading circles, but also one thing that people always said to me in the past when I went to Polyglot conferences is that the stuff that I wrote on the old How to Learn a New Language forum about giving advice and stuff like that was really helpful and valuable. And so another feature of my site is a question and answer page because people in my YouTube comments, they write things and it's like, man, if I answer this here, it's, it's going to get lost and nobody's going to see it. And so on my website, it's sort of an indexed way of finding things. So if you want a study plan, if you've got a big problem, if you have some issue, you know, if you can write me a detailed letter that I can answer publicly so that it's not benefiting just you, but the entire language learning world and community. I hope this will build into a resource like that, that old uh, reference library. So it's got a question and answer page where you can send me a question and I'll answer it, but it has to be a good question, a long, detailed, interesting question. And then, yeah, the ability to uh, practice reading uh, and speaking uh, French, German, Spanish, or Latin with me. Excellent. Well, people should definitely check that out. We'll make sure there's uh, good links to it. And uh, yeah, that being said, this has been a very interesting chat. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Until the next time, we wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. And that's a wrap. What a fascinating interview with the professor. At the end of the podcast, we like to discuss a few takeaways we've gathered. Benny, what was your highlight during this interview? So for me, there were a lot of good takeaways in this interview. I like the what he was saying about digital detox for sure, that uh, this anxiety that a lot of us feel from all the buzzing technology is something we should start with our 15-minute breaks from and we would really start to appreciate uh, reading and writing in a very different light. So I definitely appreciated that. Uh, I liked what he said about 
that there's a difference between polyglot and multilingual. I hadn't really thought about this before, that uh, polyglots, you tend to think of them more as people who are self-learning the languages and that that is the future of language learning, especially since traditional education doesn't really change that much over the years. But the future is that there will be more people who are learning by themselves. And of course, I liked what he said about forming a habit uh, that 15 minutes can help. It can make a very big difference. It's necessary in the longer term that you have a lot of hours, but your routine is what you need to build at first. And you can do a good routine if you're building upon 15 minute sessions at first to get your momentum before you dive into it quicker. So lots of takeaways, but those will be mine. Gosh, it's hard to pick just one highlight. I mean, I could have spoken with the professor for, mm, I would say four hours. I could have done an easy four hour interview with this man because every single thing that came out of his mouth was something I needed to hear. And I think a lot of beginner language learners need to hear. I guess the biggest thing for me was when he talked about the paradigm shift and recognizing that you're learning a language, yes. You have vocabulary to build, yes. But really, you're building relationships. And so you don't walk into a meeting or a party and expect to have a best friend that you've met. You know, a stranger is going to become your best friend in the first 30 minutes of the conversation. It takes time to get to know each other. And when you look at language learning that way and then also speaking with native speakers, when you take the the piece out of I'm getting graded on or judged on my ability to speak this language. And when you're looking at it more like this is the way that I'm going to communicate with this person and let me get to know this person, there's a lot less pressure that I believe is added. So I love the idea of a paradigm shift, getting away from school grades and into what is it like to build a connection with another person, an authentic connection? We truly hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, you can let us know by reaching out to Benny at info at fluentin3months.com. We love hearing from you. Thanks so much and see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.